0: Welcome to RJ Court Watch, a legal podcast produced by RH Reality Check and hosted by senior legal analysts Amani Gandhi and Jessica Mason-Piclo. This episode, we take a look at the simultaneous fights for abortion access and voting rights taking place in Texas with RH Reality Check's own Andrea Grimes. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrea.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: So Texas is basically putting on a reproductive justice clinic right now. And Andrea, as a Texan who's not only done some phenomenal reporting on these issues, but also an activist, I'm just going to kind of throw this out there and ask for your thoughts on the overlap right now in Texas on the fight for abortion access and voting rights in the wake of these two big Supreme Court orders we had.
1: Yeah, so the state of Texas wants to make it as hard as possible to be anyone besides a cis white dude. To that end, they have uh, basically uh, gutted um, abortion rights here in the state. Um, We have some of the the strictest trap legislation in the country. Um, At the same time, they have what one federal judge straight up called racist and unconstitutional voter ID requirements that prevents people from being able to get out to the polls and cast their votes. Um, And both of these things together, I think, ensure that power stays with the powerful. And that's kind of what we're, we're seeing right now here.
0: I think it's really important that we talk about, and I love that you framed it that way right out of the gates, because both voting and abortion access um, involve fundamental rights. And so in theory, you know, fundamental rights are fundamental. They are things that we all hold. And really what we're talking about, though, is access to power. And so when we place restrictions on those rights, we make it harder to exercise them, which makes it harder to effectively you know, engage our civic power. Yet for some reason, that seems to be a concept that as a movement, the reproductive rights folks have still kind of grappled with. So one of the things I'm really excited about is to see Texans talk about that broader.
1: Yeah. And and lots of people are. Um, you know, I mean, in Texas, uh, there's no such thing as being, you know, really like a, like a one-issue activist here. Um, the, you know, the, the threats to, to our freedoms, that seems like a weird and hyperbolic thing to say, but that's actually, like, the, our freedoms are actually under threat. Um, you know, they are coming from all over. Uh, so, um, you know, Texans can't afford to kind of, you know, only care about reproductive rights or only care about, you know, voting rights. Um, this is, you know, when you when you look at um, the kinds of issues that social justice orgs are working on here, you know, everybody you know, has their finger in five different freedom pies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think it's what's really great about what we're seeing in Texas is that it's exactly the opposite of what happened in Mississippi, I guess it was four years ago, back in 2011, when Mississippi voters defeated personhood le- legislation. But because activists in Mississippi and primarily reproductive rights groups in Mississippi weren't weren't willing or weren't able or just didn't work with reproductive justice advocates in order to defeat the voter ID law, which was passed that year. So it's really good to see that here we are, three or four years later, and Texas has sort of um, ably merge the two fights so that, as you said, you know, people understand that it is a fight for
0: power. One of the things that I thought was great, Andrea, um, was you put together this video footage that really captured the time and distance that a Texan has to travel in order to access an abortion in the Rio Grande Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was what's interesting to me, and we when we think about this in comparison and, and contrast, is you know what are the kinds of things that a Texan now has to go through to vote, um, and in particular with the election going on, kind of as we're as we're recording this, there seem to be some good parallels. And Amani, I know that those were some some um, p- thoughts that you had as well in terms of distance and burden, because I think as we flesh that out, it brings to life the idea that abortion rights and voting rights are um, related beyond just the idea that of, abs- I guess, abstract concepts of power and freedom. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, in Texas, uh, you've got to have a photo ID to vote. And, you know, it's it's not for a lot of people, you know, as easy as just kind of you know, popping down to the DMV. Some places are really far from you know places where they can. Some people live really far from places where they can get a photo ID. It can be costly to get there in the first place. Some folks can't physically go. Um, you know, it's really um, you know the the parallels, uh, which I bet Imani can talk about in a smarter way than I can, um, are are pretty clear. I think between the the voter ID burden and the abortion
0: access burden. And Amani gave us that beautiful gif explanation, too. Yes.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, you know what? Really, when, as I was working on that, I mean, it was a monster and it was fantastic. I read, you know, 400 to 500 pages worth of voter ID opinions. And it sort of coalesced in my mind that when we're talking about undue burden with respect to abortion restrictions and undue burden with respect to voter ID, they're very similar. So, for example, Judge Ramos says in in her opinion, in her lower court opinion, which the Fifth Circuit, you know, put the kibosh on, which then the Supreme Court went ahead and said, no, Fifth Circuit, go and suck it. Um, You know, Judge Ramos says, the cost of traveling to a DPS office to obtain ID is a particular burden in Texas because of its expansive terrain. Of the 254 counties in Texas, 78 do not have a permanent DPS office. So I think it's really interesting when we start talking about the, the number of mileage. She goes on to say, for some communities... Along the Mexican border, the nearest permanent DPS office is between 100 and 125 miles away. Now, as Andrea jokingly said to me on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, well, are those uncongested flat miles, which is what the, the Fifth Circuit sort of said or sort of poo-pooed the idea that it was an undue burden for women to travel 300, 400 miles to an abortion clinic because, oh, well, the highway is particularly flat and particularly uncongested. I mean, that's just a ludicrous notion. Um, and and uh, one thing I wanted to add, which I was really surprised to find out, is that it's very, very hard to get a birth certificate. I knew that it was very, very hard to get a birth certificate, but I found out when reading these opinions just how hard it is. For example, did you guys know that in, Por- that Puerto, Rico, ec- in Puerto Rico, if you were born in Puerto Rico, your birth certificate automatically expired in 2010? Just automatically. What? what? Yeah. Oh, your birth what? C- Yeah. So so what does that mean? So that means if you are, if you are a Puerto Rican living in Texas and you need to get your birth certificate, you need to figure out a way to go and you have to call up the people in Puerto Rico, whatever office, government office that, that supplies birth certificates. Now, in order to get your birth certificate in Puerto Rico, you need to have photo ID, but how can you get photo ID if you don't have your birth certificate? So it's just this circular problem. It's round and round we go. And it's very, very strange. It's just very, very strange. Wow.
0: Well, and I think, too, that shows just how politicized the federal courts have become, because in both the voter ID and the ambulatory surgical center provision cases, we had the Fifth Circuit coming in and, you know, basically just in a sneeze, overturning a lower court ruling that these laws um, both were blatantly unconstitutional with a boatload of evidence um, and findings of fact to back that up. And, you know, when we talk about the impact of that, I'm kind of a romantic. And so I know that that's a little cheesy, but it creates a lack of faith in the justice system to the extent that any existed or was remaining. But it also creates chaos. I mean, there's a real sense of what are our rights? We don't know what they are. They're in this constant state of flux as the courts battle over them.
1: A thing that, that comes to mind uh, for me in all of this is the idea that we lose faith, I think, in, in the justice system, in, in thinking that we have recourse. But because the wheels of justice turn slowly, we also acclimate to having fewer rights Mm-hmm. We get used to having to have a photo ID to vote. We get used to having to drive 250 miles to an abortion clinic. We get used to having to have a mandatory transvaginal ultrasound. And so it when these things kind of become status quo, it you know as time goes on, I think it gets more and more difficult to Uh, get people riled up about them, to get people mad, because we are so good at, I think, accommodating and adapting, because we're humans, uh, that it can, you know, these, these things that are really draconian and really egregious can come to seem normal or even acceptable, especially in light of the fact that there seems to always be something worse coming down the
0: line. And it shows, too, the meaningless of the undue burden standard. I mean, really, at this point, when you've got layer and layer upon restriction, you know, how is it not an undue burden? And if we have a judge in one case saying, you know, it's an undue burden to drive 150 miles to vote, but it's not, you know, a judge in another case saying it's not an undue burden to drive 300, 400 miles, you know, um, I think you're exactly right. Then that those ideas become just, you know, if not accepted, then at least no longer fought against.
2: Right, and I also think that then it becomes an issue of just state border lines. I mean, for example, the 5th Circuit had no the 5th Circuit ruled what was it, Mississippi's admitting privilege law mm-hmm. to be unconstitutional because some mm-hmm. of the people would have had to cross the border into another state. So now is that what we're going to focus on, not not the number of not the mileage per se, but whether mm-hmm. or not you have to cross the border into another state to get relief. I mean, I I just I just find the 5th the 5th Circuit is so <laughs> problematic. Like, I mean, it's just Anything that any ruling coming out of Texas, any positive ruling coming out of Texas, you sort of see this collective, you know, sigh of relief, but followed by this collective groan of dread because everybody knows where the next step is. And that next step is the Fifth Circuit. And frankly, I don't think that they're when especially when it comes to Texas, I, I am not convinced that the Fifth Circuit will rule in any way except to reduce rights, whether it's voting rights, abortion rights, what have you. I just think the Fifth Circuit I don't know what's going on there, but th- there's something going on with the Fifth Circuit because they are just so rabidly conservative and so conservative to a point that some of their some of the things that they say don't even make logical sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're they're. I mean, y'all are the lawyers here, but you know, when I read when I read the most recent um, abortion related ruling that the Fifth Circuit came out with you know, this business of, you know, it's not our job to, to basically evaluate the law. I mean, the le- the intellectual lengths you have to go to to disengage with the matter at hand in order to hand down a conservative ruling is incredible to me.
2: Right. Right. And that's exactly what it is. And when, we, when the right always likes to talk about activist judges, what we've got in the Fifth Circuit are A group of extremely activist judges who are willing to twist and contort the law in whatever way they have to in order to come down with a conservative ruling.
0: And the Texas legislatures know this. I mean, we saw that in the push for the for passage of HB2, which, Imani, you chronicled and, Andrea, you you did such great reporting on the um, fight on the Capitol floor, but just the number of times and attempts to get the bill in because they knew that they could get the Fifth Circuit to support it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like they've got their, you know, they're like big brother, you know, the senior in high school who they know is going to take care of any pesky bullies, you know, in the, in the federal court or, you know, in, in, in any kind of lower court, they know that the Fifth Circuit is going to uphold whatever they want to do and maybe the Supreme Court as well.
2: One can only, I mean, at this point, if, if the Supreme Court does not rule that HB2 is an undue burden, then the undue burden standard means nothing. Then Planned Parenthood v. Casey means nothing. And that's just, I mean, I know we're in a place where we're facing a court that has gutted voting rights um, in Shelby v. Holder. And and you know I'm nervous about the Roberts course, but I have to believe I mean, I, I fundamentally have to believe that they're going to look at this and say, OK, Fifth Circuit, you're being ridiculous because they as as Andrea said, you know, they are completely disengaged from the matter at hand. They did not they did not want to consider the law. And I, I just have to hope that the Supreme Court is going to look at that and smack them down. I hope I hope against hope.
0: Well, in their in the Fifth Circuit's last opinion too on um, the ambulatory surgical center provisions, they basically said, "Look, we're the Fifth Circuit, and we're going to do things how we want to do it." Na 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 to the rest of you, which to me was an opinion written specifically to get the Roberts Court to take them up.
2: Well I think the 5th circuit no I mean I think it's the the 5th and the 10th circuits are I think the only circuits that might that 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 seem to be or seem to have the ability to cause circuit splits and so whether or not the 5th circuit the individual justices believe the crap that they're writing. But I think their their entire purpose is to force circuit splits and to force the Supreme Court to take this up. And you have people like, you know, Edith Jones, the former chief justice who was just um, absolved of of any, any charges that she was racist or ableist based on those comments that she made at the University of Pennsylvania where she said basically black people and Mexican people are more prone to violence mm-hmm. and that uh, mentally handicapped people should be executed because who cares about mentally handicapped people? I mean, these are the people that are sitting on that court. And, and she has explicitly said that she wants the court to take another look at Roe v. Wade. She has explicitly said that she wants Roe v. Wade overturned. And she's a known bully on the court. I mean, she's bullies, she bullies her fellow justices. So that's what we're dealing with, with when we come when it comes to the Fifth Circuit. And, you know, they're going to force a split. And I just hope that the Supreme Court goes with the rest of the country. The other 12 circuits that have said um, admitting privileges laws have no medical benefit whatsoever. Uh, You know, maybe we should lay off on this voter I.D. nonsense because it's disenfranchising black and Latino people. Well,
0: Andrew, I have a question for you. One of the um, theories that I've heard and I and I tend to agree with with it um, in part is that a big part of the explanation for the push at such a, um, aggressive restriction on abortion rights and voting rights is, um, in a in effect, a last gasp from conservatives in the area, given changing demographics and voting shifts. So that in reality, it's really bad right now. But Texas will be its own version of California in ten years, and then you know, um, liberals progressives will really have the um, last laugh. how How do you feel about that as an actual Texan? Well, I hope
1: that it's true. Um... The issue, my concern with that, I mean, I I 100% think that the Texas legislature passing these kinds of laws is a direct fear-based reaction of a Texas that looks different than it did 50 years ago. It's browner than it was 50 years ago. I absolutely think that our lawmakers um, and their constituents are afraid of that. Um now I, the you know the fact on the ground is that yes we are Texas is becoming a purpler bluer state our big cities are all blue um you know even uh, down in the valley um which is you know has problems with poverty and that kind of thing it's a very blue area um but and so i think that's why you see our lawmakers uh... trying so desperately uh... to silence these what they see as you know dissenting un-american un-texan voices um, you know it it would be great if in eight or ten years you know texas is a is a blue is a big blue dot at the bottom of the united states map that would be great um, my concern is what happens you know in that interim period what happens in the next ten years Uh, you know how many Texans will lose faith in their ability to uh, you know vote to elect officials who can represent them how many Texans will die from you know self-induced illegal abortions how many Texans will be forced to carry unwanted pregnancies to term because they don't have any other recourse I mean it's, it's a lovely thought to think that in 10 or 15 years it'll be blue but you know we have to think about the damage that's happening right now so you know as a Texan my interest in it is not intellectual you know I'm deeply concerned about my neighbors uh, and that's something you know that 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 makes it difficult and frustrating to write about the politics of this state uh, because I I feel like there's a lot of collateral damage and it can be difficult and overwhelming to try and cover that.
0: I think you hit on something really important, though, which is, you know, the idea that these laws can create chaos, but also the idea of disenfranchising being just taking away almost through an attrition to the ability to access your rights where you're so discouraged or you're so beat down or you're just so fed up with the whole process that screw it. Who needs the headache to try? Um, so, you know, and the terrifying thing is, as you mentioned, in the meantime, real actual Texans lives are on the line hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I, and I, go
0: ahead. <laughs> no, you go. No, you go. I was just going to say,
2: um, yeah, the, the notion that people get discouraged is actually borne out by the evidence that was that was adduced at the trial on SB 14, which is Texas's voter ID law. I mean, they had experts talking about how with every every additional barrier you put to voting, people are less inclined to do it because. You know, a lot of people feel like voting doesn't matter. They're not, they're, you know, they have other things to do. They can't take the time off of work. They have to pick up the kids. So if you force them to pay $80 to get a birth certificate or you force them to stand for two and a half hours at the DMV and if they don't have a car, they have to get a relative to drive them. All of these barriers just make it easier for people to say, I'm just not going to bother. And those are the people that need to be, those are the people that need to be voting the most. Those are the people that, as Andrea said, lawmakers and 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 the majority now are afraid of because, you know, the brown menace is coming. And so what do you do? You gerrymander all the brown people out so that they can't ever form a coalition and, and gather power and elect people that look like them that will represent their interests into power. And then you just get white dudes who are just, you know, hanging out, lording over all these brown people, taking away their rights, reducing their re- reproductive freedom. And uh, it's just a cluster mess. <laughs> it
0: is. It is a cluster mess. Um, the Roberts court probably won't make it any better when it takes up the issue of racial gerry- gerrymandering this term either, um, because, you know, this is a post-racial society after all. Thank you, Chief Justice John Roberts. Um, So, Andrea, for our listeners who want to help, um, what can they do? Well, uh, they have a couple of
1: of pretty good options. So one of the great things that has come out of uh, this really uh, disturbing attack on reproductive rights here in Texas is that we our reproductive justice organizations and our reproductive rights organizations are stronger than ever. Um, They the, the spotlight has helped uh has helped them kind of grow and and become a little more prominent, um, which is, I mean, you know, it's not the greatest outcome in the world, but it's it's nice, I suppose. Uh so um, you know, the, the best thing on a practical level if people want to help is to donate to an abortion fund. And you know, an abortion fund is 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 a nonprofit that literally gives people money so that they can have abortions or they give people gas cards or bus tickets so that they can travel to places uh, where they can get abortions. So you know, there's the Lilith Fund, there's the Texas Equal Access Fund, there's uh, Fund Texas Choice, there's Bridge Collective, there's Cicada Collective, there's West Fund. Uh, there's lots, lots, and lots of really good abortion funds here, and so that's a really cool practical thing. And you can, you know, it's it's so cool to make a donation and like get an email that's like. Thanks, you just funded, you know, a tenth of someone's abortion. It's a really, it's a really kind of visceral, happy-making feeling, um, which is nice because we don't get that a lot in Texas these days. Um, You know, the other thing, uh, we have some really good um, uh, political outreach groups. Um, We have a really strong up-and-coming progressive social justice network um, groups like the Texas Civil Rights Projects. Um, you know, groups like C P that do a lot of really great research, um, you know, donating to those groups, volunteering with those groups, volunteering with groups like the Texas Freedom Network, which uh, challenges, um, you know, some of the, well, that's a whole, the, the Texas educational system is a whole other conversation. But we'll have Texas, you
0: back to talk about
1: that. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the Texas Freedom Network does great work around comprehensive sex ed in schools and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's it sucks that we're in the situation there that we're in. But our social justice orgs here are really great.
0: Andrea, thank you so much for taking the time out of all your reporting to join us. I will tell you the thing that gives me the most hope um, for Texas is all of or is all of that great social justice work going on and the fact that there are advocates on the ground doing the real work and not just folks pontificating about it from the sidelines.
1: It is uh, it's an exciting time, an interesting time to be a Texan. So,
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to RJ Court Watch, and be sure to catch all of our reporting and analysis on reproductive health and justice issues at www.rhrealitycheck.org.